0: Well, welcome again. Today we are concluding our series, Looking Back to Move Forward. And in this series, we've taken a look at godly men and women who have had a powerful impact on the Christian church and who lived between 500 and 1500 AD. We've looked at Hildegard of Bingen, for example, and just saw how she lived this incredible life by the Spirit. We looked at St. Francis and learn that devotion and love of God leads us to seek to imitate in every way the life of Jesus. Thomas Aquinas in the pursuit of faith and reason and the reality that all truth is God's truth. Or how about John Wycliffe and his love of Scripture and his desire to see the Bible in the hands of people in their own language now today's faith hero i'm going to save until a little bit later in the message so let me ask you uh look around you real quick hopefully at home you have a a pencil and a piece of paper because i want to ask you to do a, a couple of exercises first of all uh write down someone in your life that has been a spiritual mentor and a guide for you write that person's name down And then here's what I want you to do. You don't have to do this now. It's a little bit of homework for later, uh, maybe at the end of the service. But if they are still living, I want you to write them a note and thank them for allowing God to use them to shape and influence your life in the faith. Let me encourage you to do that. If they are not still living, if they have passed, write a note to God as a prayer you know some of my most poignant prayers i believe have been ones that i've written to god just between me and the lord and then put that note to god tuck it away in your bible or somewhere uh, in your journal but thank god uh, for uh, that person in your life we want to be people who learn from those who have gone before us we need the encouragement faith is far better caught than taught. We need to see faith at work in the lives of others. I remember uh, in one of my first years in seminary reading a book by a professor named George Hunter on how to reach secular people. And one of the ways that he said to do this is that secular people need to see credible Christians. They need to see people living out the faith day in and day out. We as Christians also need to see faith at work in the lives of others. It helps us to deepen our faith. We also need humility in learning from previous generations. We also need discernment because we can learn from both the faults and the strengths of those who have gone before us. Each person that we have highlighted in this series have had their struggles as well. And let's just face it, let's get this out on the table this morning. Previous generations of Christians have at times led the church in the wrong direction. Previous generations of Christians at times have Missed the mark. Let me just give you one example that's fairly recent. The 20th century church that shaped many of us had an extraordinary impact. The, the World War II generation sent missionaries around the world, built hospitals, schools, seminaries, orphanages, churches. They started Christian organizations the likes that the world has never ever seen. It's a powerful movement of God through the church had a strong missionary spirit we stand on their shoulders and we learn from their sense of missional passion strong faith and a can do building type of spirit yet the 20th church the 20th century church for the most part was blind to racial injustices we don't want to pull that forward into the 21st century The 20th century church on the mission field exported not just the gospel, but also American culture and had a feeling of colonization rather than indigenous missions. We certainly don't want to pull that forward into the 21st century. And the 20th century church institutionalized itself and in many ways was unable to respond to the emerging population in the 21st century. Now volumes and volumes and volumes are being written about the decline of the North American church and the inability for the church of yesterday to reach future generations. We do not want to pull that forward into the 21st century. So even as we look back and even as we celebrate heroes of the faith, we also have to always keep in mind before us that the church of Jesus Christ always, always, always has to be Reforming, we always have work to do to be the people that God wants us to be. Now, why do I mention this now? Let me take this from the global church to the OTCC context just for a moment since we've been spending time looking back. We have just experienced through COVID-19 a once in a hundred years crisis together. We have just been through a major disruption together as God's people. Our world has been rocked by this pandemic. There are going to be opportunities for us to step in and to share the love of Jesus Christ in word and in deed like ways that we have never before. Church life, as we begin to move out of COVID-19 and this experience. Church life is going to look and it is going to feel differently and it should because we live in a different world now. Just as those who went through the era of the depression when that was over, they were encountering a different world. Just as those who lived through World War II and they encountered that incredible experience, they found themselves at the end of in a far different world. Just as those who lived through the 50s and the 60s, the Vietnam era, when that was over, they woke up to realize that they were in a different world. And I am telling you now that we are in a different world than just 15 to 18 months ago. There will be aspects of ministry that we should not pull forward and There are aspects of our past that we need to emphasize even more. And it is a holy and a sacred journey to join together to discern the difference. That is, by the way, one of the reasons why we're having courtyard conversations. Uh, I've absolutely so enjoyed our first one. We'll share more about those uh, a little bit later before we close today. But I am sitting with people and saying, what did God do in your life? How did God speak to you in your life? And how do you think God is speaking to His church called Old Town Community Church now as we begin to emerge in this different reality, in this new world that we are all going to encounter together? One of the dynamics that I believe we need to consider is continuing the journey of pushing out and away from our facility and starting more and more ministries off site now don't get me wrong it is a beautiful resource from god to be able to gather in sacred space and encounter the work of the lord together in sacred space and yet we also know that the world that jesus loves is the world that is outside our facility we know that and we've learned that even more during covid i mean think about it all of life has become portable People have been able to work from anywhere. They've had to pick up food from their favorite restaurant and then go and eat it somewhere else. Many of us have gotten a week's worth of groceries without ever leaving our car or our home. And church has been in the palm of your hands or on your laptop. Now, I know that we deeply desire to gather Together, and I am looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to people being in these chairs around me as much as everyone else. However, the idea of church on the go, the idea of church beyond 212 South Washington is going to be here for a very, very, very long time. So we need to take the Gospel of Jesus outside of these walls by the way that's where the lord is and we have known this and we have preached this but now i believe that we all should acknowledge that the waiting world expects this of the church let me just give you a few whiteboard examples for a moment absolutely nothing concrete no plans, but just a few thoughts. For example, uh, Sarah Hoysa, our children's ministry director, she and I were talking uh, this past week about maybe maybe we should consider, if our folks are are interested in supporting it, maybe we should consider a, a monthly service for families on Sunday morning outside at one of the parks. Anyone who is around are certainly welcome to join us. And Sarah and I have been discussing this. Maybe this is what God is calling us to, to meet the needs of families as we emerge from shutdown. Because there's still a a lagging indicator of children being able to get vaccinated and parents being comfortable and leaving their children with others and so forth. And so we started thinking, well, maybe this is something we can do in this transition time. And then I started wondering, well, maybe that's what we need to do anyway. Is once a month have a service for families outside at parks for those who may never come inside a church building. Or on a personal basis, and, and this is personal here, but I believe the Lord may be nudging me to start a, a prayer and devotion type of service. And, and You're going to get a chuckle out of this, but for the dog walking community uh, here in Old Town, not ready to do that just yet, but, and I'm not completely sure if that's the Phil or the Lord. Because I know Jody and I can't do it by ourselves, and we'll need other dog owners in this area to catch the vision but I wonder if that's what God is doing. And would people that we encounter in a ministry like that, would they ever come inside the church? And then I started wondering, well, is that the point anyway? Or some of you who have been faithful in joining us for the last 15 months online, and as you hear about us regathering, you might be thinking, you know, I wonder if God wants me to, to start sort of a house church right here in my home, and and we'll watch the service together, and maybe we'll have breakfast together. Maybe six or eight people from my community that don't have a church home. Maybe I'll invite them to come and to to, uh, as Carl and and Bev Patton say, you know, sort of be bedside Baptist. That's I believe their phrase they coined for it. But know that you'd gather people, make them breakfast, gather them in the living room, and watch the service together. And maybe once a month you come here live. Now I'm whiteboarding. I'm just brainstorming, but you see the possibilities for ministry, God is up to something new. And God is going to fit us. God is going to equip us to step into whatever God is leading us to do. Let me just encourage you to pray about how God may call you to do something to reach people in your neighborhood. Let me know because I'd love to pray with you. All right, somebody say, let's get to the text. Okay, wow, I heard that loud enough. I heard it through the internet. Isn't that interesting? Well, our text this morning is short, yet embedded in it is the absolute core message of the Bible in just a few short, powerful verses. Now, unless you know the context of most passages in Isaiah, it is hard to feel the impact Of the text context and text always go hand-in-hand somebody say that at home context and text always go hand-in-hand we have a sermon series later on in the year that digs into passages that have often been ripped out of their context and so the church has sort of learned a faulty interpretation of these texts that'll be later in the year so let me just set up our text for a moment bear with me Isaiah was a prophet that lived 700 years before Jesus, and some consider Isaiah to be the prince of prophets. The book of Isaiah is absolutely eloquent and sweeping in theological scope. And generally, Isaiah speaks into a time of pain and suffering for God's people, the nation of Israel. It is divided into two sections, and some scholars believe three sections. The first section deals with Israel's disobedience and God's judgment. The second or second and third sections deal with God's hope and rescue. Now, in general, Isaiah delves into two significant problems for the people of God. The first is their captivity uh, at the hands of Babylon and their exile away from Jerusalem. That's a pretty significant problem, I think we would all agree. The second is the sin of obedience that led them into exile away from Jerusalem. I mean, as bad as living in captivity was, The problem of their sinful disobedience and bondage to sin was an even greater problem. And the call of Isaiah sweeping through the book was for the people of God to wait for deliverance, to wait upon the Lord. God is faithful and God will come to them and God will be strong for them and God will deliver. And there's absolutely no power that can stand up to the power of God. Now i bet you're wondering there at home, how did the people respond to their time of exile and suffering? I'm glad you're wondering that because I was wondering that this past week too. According to John N. Oswald, professor of Old Testament at Asbury Theological Seminary, the people had three basic responses to their struggles. Some said, you know what, God is not fair. We did not deserve to be exiled and to be sure There were people who were faithful to God, but got swept along in the exile because of the overall nation's disobedience. And they were saying, hey, God is not fair here. And then there were some who said, hey, God is completely fair. We're just bad. That God is fair, but we're bad. We don't deserve the love of God. God had given them exactly what was coming to them, they would say, and they could not imagine God setting his love upon them, much less God using them for His holy purposes. And then there's another group that said, so what? Just sort of a cynical view. They looked at their situation and they concluded it was hopeless and there's just no way out. You know, it's interesting. I've heard some of the same struggles in our time. I've heard people say, hey, God is not fair in a time of struggling. Maybe you've heard it posed by the question, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? God, why do I suffer when my neighbor does not? God, why do I suffer when I have been faithful to you? Or maybe you've heard someone say, you know, I am too bad for God to ever want anything to do with me. That the love of God is just for those who love God first, and the love of God is just for people who obey God. Or... Maybe you've heard somebody say, you know, life is just beyond hope. We're just here on this planet, time ticking away, and then we die. No hope for today and no hope for tomorrow. The cynic has been with us from the beginning of time, by the way. Read the book of Ecclesiastes and you can hear the voice of the cynic. Maybe some of you have had some of those responses before. Maybe some of you are in one of those places right now. It is in this multi-layered context that we receive our text this morning. Isaiah, the prophet of God, speaking for God, says, Shout for joy, you heavens! Rejoice, you earth! Burst forth into song, you mountains! For the Lord comforts His people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion, in other words, Israel said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, the Lord says, I will not forget you. And then listen to this. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Do you hear the gospel? See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls, in other words, all of who you are, are ever before me. This is a resounding answer to the responses of the Israelites and for us today. Yes, God is fair in His judgment and salvation. He has not forgotten you and He will save you. Yes, God. Your sin is an offense before God, but no, you are not beyond the grace of God. There's nothing you have ever done that is so bad that can keep you from the love of God in Christ. And no, 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 you're not hopeless. The God of new hope and the God of new life comes to you and will raise you up and give you his hope. And that incredible image of the future cross of Jesus. See, I have engraved you on the palms of My hands. When we hear this text from Isaiah 700 years before Jesus, we immediately think of the nail-scarred hands of our Lord. Nails that should have been ours became nails that were His. In His suffering, our names are engraved. My name and Your name. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The path to experiencing the life of Jesus begins with fully surrendering to His love. The path to experiencing the life of Jesus begins with fully opening your heart and surrendering to the love that He has for you. We can be a creative mystic like Hildegard But creative insights without love is just a a flight of fancy. We can desire to imitate the life of Jesus like St. Francis, but it starts with receiving His love. We can champion the truth of faith and the truth of reason like Aquinas, but without His love, they are just noisy debates. We can desire to know the Bible like John Wycliffe, but to make it come alive in our lives, we have to believe that For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. People of God, if you remember just one thing, just one thing from this series, remember this. God loves you with a depth of love that is so powerful that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus. Your name is engraved on the palms of His hands. I hope and pray that you will open your life more and more each day to the love that God has for you. I mentioned at the beginning that I would share today's faith hero at the end. And I want to break the script uh, just a little bit and share about one of my personal faith heroes and mentors. Unlike the rest of the heroes, he didn't live between 500 And 1500 AD, I'm breaking the script a little bit, but Robert D. Dale has had a profound impact on my life and my ministry. I first met Bob in 1992. He was one of my seminary professors and Bob taught generation, a generation of pastors primarily in the mid-Atlantic and I know he had influence on at least two of the former pastors here at this church and maybe even three. Bob later became a denominational employee for the Baptist General Association of Virginia where he continued to develop and train new pastoral leaders. He wrote book after book after book on congregational leadership that are still being used to this day. Bob was not just a professor, though. He was a friend, and he was a coach, and he was a neighbor. He was in my home on important occasions in my family's life. When I accepted the role of pastor here, Bob coached me on the phone weekly for almost two years. He helped me see this ministry as an opportunity to share Christ with those who come here and just touch base for a while and then continue to move on wherever the government or the military or whoever sends them throughout the world. His coaching even influenced our logo. The river represents the transitional flow of the people The cross stands as the constant, and as a church, we want to be a constant gospel witness as people flow in and out of our area. I learned from Bob that every single person has a powerful story, and their story matters to God and should matter to us. I learned that we are always to be lifelong learners. Bob became a master gardener in his 60s, and after he retired, learned how to how to design stained glass and made different jewelry and things for people. I learned to love the church of Jesus in profound ways, even though she often has struggles. I learned that to be faithful, we'll seek to influence future generations and raise up future leaders. And that's one of the most important things that a church and that pastors can do is to raise up future leaders in the faith. I learned that you can be wonderfully devoted to family and wonderfully devoted to the work of the Lord my friend my faith hero died just a few days ago on April 30th I will miss him and he has forever shaped my life and my ministry and the churches to which God has called me and I hope just as we have learned about people who lived centuries ago that centuries from now if the Lord does not return first that some pastor somewhere in her study we'll write a sermon that reflects on how god used robert d dale to shape the church for the glory of god you know we may not always we all may not write books and teach classes but we all can have the same kind of influence on the people that god places right in our path at the beginning of this message i asked you to write down someone who has influenced you in the faith now let's consider Another question before we close. Who are you influencing in the faith? Write down the name of someone on whom you have a spiritual impact. Pray for that person. And if you don't have a name to write, ask God to prepare you for the person He will bring into your life. Looking back to move forward. Let us look back with humility and learn and to be encouraged let us move forward empowered by the spirit encouraged and engulfed in the love of jesus and emboldened by the spirit for his mission in the world amen and amen let's pray together lord god indeed we come to you and we We're so humbled and awed by the love that you have for us that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even before we loved you, Christ died for us. Lord, as we think about our names being engraved in the palms of his hands, that the nail-scarred hands of Jesus have our names on them we bow before You and we open our hearts and we receive Your love. Lord, let Your love flow in our hearts in such a way that any sense of of guilt is moved away. Any sense of bondage to sin is moved away. Lord, any sense of regret is moved away. Lord, flood our hearts with Your love in such a way that we would be inspired to open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see people the way that You see people. Lord, allow Your love to flow through us and into the world that You love in such a way that, Lord, changes this world for Your glory and that changes us for Your sake. Lord, we thank You for those faith mentors who have gone before us, some that we have only known known through the the pages of books or that we've learned about in messages. And Lord, those that we've known, flesh and blood, heroes of the faith that we have sat with, prayed with, talked with, cried with, laughed with. We thank You for those who have shaped us. And we ask, O God, that we would not be the end of that journey of shaping, that we would be a part of that, that journey, that we would pass on what we have learned from others to shape the world, to shape the future, as we continue to press in toward Your mission. Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your church. Thank You for what You're doing. Thank You for the new life, the new hope, the new callings that You're going to bring to us as we stand on the threshold of this new season. We love You, God. In Jesus' name, Amen.